thank you for tuning in to AnchorCast. Please remember to subscribe and follow us on social media at Anchor Nights to get the latest updates about events, meetings, and uploads. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Who can be against this? We've been going through Romans chapter 8. Uh, The verse is going to be on the screens here. This is our key verse for tonight. So if you'd read this with me, it says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we come into this place, Lord, and your spirit has also come into this place. God, these are the words that you have spoken. God, that you've written down that for centuries have been giving Christians life, Lord, and tonight I pray that they would breathe life into us, God. God, that they would breathe life into our faith. God, that we wouldn't leave here unchanged, Lord, but that your word would do a work in us, God. Lord, you are good. You are great. You are faithful. You are just. You are merciful. God, you are here. Lord Jesus, we lift up your name this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. You guys can be seated. You can be seated. Uh, Quick question uh, for you guys. Uh, How many of you uh, like tests? No, dude, come on. How many of you actually like tests? Is there anybody that likes tests? We'll be praying for you if you do. Um, Not a test person. Um, Always hated tests. Um, Dude, I got to get rid of this gum. Right there on that page. Always hated tests. Um, just being like, oh, dude, the worst pet peeve when you walk into a class and a teacher's like, pop quiz. <laughs> it's like, dude, <laughs> didn't give us time to even study. Like, I don't like tests, but then like a, like a surprise test, absolutely the worst. Can't stand it. I, I just, I mean, some of us um, have really big testing anxiety. Anybody get super big anxiety, like when you know you got a test? And you're just like, it's like the worst. You're like, homework, I can handle. I can do that any day. But tests, man, that's different. Tests kind of hit different. And, um, and uh, yeah, like I always hated pop quiz because, I mean, it's not like I was going to be preparing anyway. But, like, even worse, I hate when it's a surprise. Um, there's one kid who failed a test. And his mom asked him, like, why did you fail that test? And he just, he was like, absence. She's like, absence? I dropped you off at school. What are you, what are you ditching class? And he's like, no, mom. The kid who usually sits next to me was absent. <laughs> and and I, like, that reminded me of a story. Um, listen, I, I, I've done some bad things, okay? I've messed up. I'm not going to pretend to be perfect up in here. Um, freshman year was a really bad year for me, okay? I was a rebel child freshman year, okay? Like, complete rebel, okay? We had this class. It was a geography class, um, and the teacher, super cool. Uh, I don't know if anybody goes to North. I don't know if he's still there. Mr. Lenow, Lenow, track coach. 
Yeah, dude, super awesome, super trusting, okay? He, he trusted us. I remember on the first day of class, he was like, you guys are freshmen now. Like, you guys are going to be, you know, big people. Like, I'm, I'm going to treat you with respect, and I'm going to trust you. And as a teenager, I'm going to take advantage of that trust, okay? I'm going to run that trust straight into the ground. And Mr. Lee, now, now that I understand, like, teachers, like, a lot of teachers... Do we have any teachers in the room tonight? I think we have a couple uh, people. How about people who are going to be teachers? You're going to school to be teachers. Okay. Listen, teachers, I didn't know this. They take a lot of work home with them, and they grade stuff, right? They grade tests. They grade homework, all that stuff. Mr. Lee now, I realized his way of getting around this was to grade the work during class. And how he did this was he said, hey, you're, 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 you're big boys. You're big girls now. You're going to take a test. And then what you're going to do is you're going to slide it over to the person next to you, and they're going to grade it on a system. <sighs> Big mistake, Mr. Now. okay? Every, I had this system, okay? Here's my system. Here's the system. On the test, every answer I've, I wrote down as C, but a little C, okay? So every answer is C. Then I pass it to my buddy next to me. And as we're correcting, he changes the little C, and he'll put, like, a little line, and it's A. Or he'll go, like, put the line here and then close the circle, and it's B, okay? Or D. Okay, this was genius, guys, all right? This was so good. So me and my buddy had this system going on. We're acing every test. Look, we're not idiots. We didn't get 100% all the time, right? It would be like, hey, buddy, give me, like, a 90. And he'd be like, okay, I got you. And then one day I'll be like, you know what, I'm feeling generous. Give me like an 89, all right? And then the next day I'm like, give me 100, baby. I studied hard, you know what I mean? We had this system. Other people started catching on to the system. The whole class is doing this. And Mr. Lee now figures out, why is everybody answering in lowercase? This doesn't make any sense. Dude, we got caught. All right, we got caught and it was bad, but we were cheating. And you know the problem with cheating? I mean, other than it being wrong, you don't learn anything, dude. I'm not learning anything. I don't remember anything from that class. I mean, let alone high school, I, I, hardly anything. But like, like that class, I didn't learn a single gosh darn thing. And like, see, tests, exams, they've got questions, right? Like questions are the whole point of tests. They ask you a question, and the point of the question is to test your knowledge, like, when you know about something, you're supposed to have, like, an, like an answer. If someone asks you a question about something and you actually know it about that thing, you should be able to answer uh, the questions. But when you're cheating, you don't really gain any knowledge. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you. The Apostle Paul, in all of his writings, he loves questions. He's a big question guy. Like, he's always asking these questions. And... Uh, and he, he, it's part of his writing style. Um, it's actually a method taught by Socrates, and it's called uh, diatribo. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's diatribe is how you say it, diatribe. And right in the middle of Romans 8, we get essentially like a midterm exam. Like we get a midterm exam right here in Romans chapter 8 where Paul, he's just been, he's just been pouring out this knowledge about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And he kind of gets to a point where he's like got nothing left to say, right? And he's just like, he's just been throwing all this out. So then he starts asking questions. I mean, like questions on questions on questions. And it's almost like he's testing us. It's almost like he's testing to see if we've really been learning what he's throwing at us that whole time. Turn to your neighbor and say, pop quiz. 
pop quiz. Look, tonight's a little pop quiz, guys. Tonight's a little pop. I know some of you are like, what? What? Like, if you brought a friend tonight, the friend's like, dude, you said there's going to be free pizza and cool people, and now you're telling me there's an exam? This is ridiculous. Listen, listen, just, just bear with me. I know, like, I, I know you weren't ready, but we're going to be taking a little midterm tonight, okay? But listen, don't worry. It's open note. It's open note. You're good, okay? You're good, fam. We're going to be taking it together. We're going to be looking through these questions, and we're going to be finding the answers, okay? You ready? Say ready. All right. Verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? This is the first question. First question on the exam. First question Paul gives here. He says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? But what, <laughs> what is he talking about? What's these wonderful things he's talking about, right? Well, really, what he's talking about is all the stuff that he's been writing in this letter. Everything that we've been going through, uh, he's been writing to this church of Rome up until this point, even more specifically, he's talking about the stuff he's said in chapter 8, which is the, this chapter we've been going through week by week. So let's do a really quick recap. Okay, this is going to be really quick, uh, really quick. <laughs> This is going to be really quick, um, but listen, if you want to listen to these messages uh, more in depth, they're really good, and it's not just because I'm speaking them. Uh, they're really good. They're really deep theology, um, but they're, they're great. If you want to hear the full thing, we've got our podcast. Go check that out. But here's a quick recap here. Week one, we went through Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, and we saw that Paul says we are now safe and secure. That because of Jesus, there's now no condemnation. Our punishment for sin is done. And through him, we receive the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live righteously. Okay? Week two, we looked at verses 12 through 16. And we saw that Paul says that through Jesus, we aren't just saved, but we are adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters. And now we co-heir with Christ. And because of this new relation, we have a new motivation to pursue the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, okay? This week one, two. Here's week three. We focused on verses 28 through 30, and we saw that the certainty of God's care, the comprehensiveness of God's care, the cohesiveness, the culmination, and the condition of his care, and we dug into the deepness and the richness of the verse that says God works all things for the good of those who love him. So that, that's a recap. And now we arrive to this question that Paul asks us. Now we arrive to this place. He says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If I can rephrase this question, it's like he's saying, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> what are you going to do about it? That, that, I feel like that's what he's saying. Um, I follow Barstool Sports on Instagram. Anybody follow Barstool? I love Barstool Sports. They mainly post sports, except for when there's no sports on. Then they just post memes, okay? And um, I came across this uh, video, and uh, it's like these two dudes throwing down in Walmart. <laughs> like a bit, like they, the big, big fight in Walmart, okay? I love Walmart for that reason. My wife is like a big Target person. She's like, we got to go Target. I'm like, babe, let's go to Walmart, because then you're shopping, and I can watch the fights. You know what I mean? Like, like why can't we go to Walmart? It's always a Walmart. And so uh, in this video, it's like this big ripped guy. Like, he's big, dude, like scary. Like, if he's walking on my side of the street, I'm going across to the other, and I'm not looking, dude. He's that big. He's scary. Dude, he is hyped in this video. He is mad. He's like, 
you know, I don't know, he's roid raging, I really don't know, but he's yelling at this Walmart employee behind the counter, all right, like this cashier. I don't know what the cashier did to piss him off, okay, but the dude, he was mad, dude, he's hulking out. And he says, he looks at this employee, he's saying some stuff, and then you can hear in the video, you can't really hear what the employee says, but you can know, you know he yelled back at him. And the big guy says, what are you going to do about it? Dude, that's the last thing you want to say in a conflict, right? It's like, that's, you are going to incite violence when you say that. So this, the, dude, the, the big guy says, what are you going to do about it? The little guy, I say little because he's like a foot shorter, okay, than this other dude. He comes out from behind the counter. He takes off his Walmart vest, and he just like the widest fight stance you've ever seen. And I'm like, oh, dude, it's about to go down. And, dude, he wrecks this big dude. He, he scans his head through the checkout, like right on the top, beep, beep. You heard it, and like he just put the beat down on this guy, and I was like, oh, my goodness. That's what you get for saying, what are you going to do about it? You know what I mean? Listen, that's basically what Paul is saying here. He says, what, what, do, we, what do you got to say about these things? What do you got to say about, what are you going to do about it? And Paul's not, he's not trying to get you to square up with him, okay? It's not like he's sending this letter to Rome and expecting like all these Romans to come and be like, square up, Paul. You said it. No, 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 no. What he wants, though, is a reaction. What he wants, what Paul is asking for is a reaction. This is a question of reaction. Listen, because when you hear that you're safe and secure in Jesus, that you're adopted into the family of God, that you've received the power of the Holy Spirit, and that you are cared for above all creation, man, there's got to be some sort of reaction. There's got to be some sort of reaction to that. This is the question. This is the question. How do you and I respond to spiritual truth? How do you and I respond to spiritual truth? Why is this an important question? Why? Because our reaction determines our action. Our reaction determines our action. Listen, if you're, if you're hearing all these, thing, all these things Paul lays out in his letter about how you benefit from your life as a believer, but you don't put these things into action, you aren't benefiting. You aren't changing. You aren't growing. See, it's your reaction to spiritual truth that determines your action. I believe uh, James, in his book of the Bible, which we should definitely go through in, in a series because it's so good. But in, ch- in chapter 1, he, he kind of he takes this idea. And he says this in verse 22. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Don't just listen to spiritual truths. Put them into action. And it says that God's going to bless you for doing it. That's question number one. Here's question number two. This is where it gets really good. You follow me? Are you ready? This is where it gets good. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? If God is for us, stop right there. Do you know God is for you? Do you know that God in heaven is for you? 
Job in the Bible, he was going through the lowest point in his life. And at his lowest, at his lowest, he's crying out. And he says, God, why do you regard me as your enemy? That's a man who doesn't think God is for him. Jacob in the Bible, he said, all things are against me. That's a man who doesn't think God is for him. The New York Times uh, came out with this interesting article. I found it really interesting. It was titled, uh, Googling God. And it explored uh, trends in Google search data, okay? And the top three Googled questions about God were these. I found these super interesting. The top three, number one, Google question about God, who created God? (laughs) Okay, that's that's a funny one, right? Like, who created God? Like, yeah, yeah, you'd Google that. You're like, yeah, sure. Uh, Number two, uh, top Googled question about God is, why does God allow evil and suffering? Man, that's an important question. That's a good one. That's a really good question to ask, right? Here's number three. This is the one that surprised me. Top three Googled question. Why does God hate me? Why does God hate me? Why does God hate you? That, that was the, the third most Googled question about God. Obviously, there's a large portion of people who believe that if there is a God, he must hate them. Why does God hate me? Well, Paul says, if God is for us, who could ever be against us? And see, the if at the beginning of this verse, the word if, it's not a maybe. Paul's not saying, well, maybe God's for us. And he, I mean, if he is, then no one could be against us. But maybe he's not. I don't know. It's not, it's, it's not that kind of if. This is actually, um, a, a, it's a Greek conditional participle. And the word if here means a fulfilled condition, not a possibility. It's a fulfilled condition. A better translation of this verse could be since God is for us or because God is for us. It's not a possibility. It's a fact. I think there's some of us running around here. We're running around. We're not fully believing in the reality that God is for you. And you sit in your relationship with God, and you think there's a question mark on where you're standing with him. But let me tell you, there's no question mark on the salvation of Jesus. Do you hear me? There's no question mark on the salvation of Jesus. God says there's now no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. God says that through Jesus, we're subject to the same inheritance as Jesus. That's not a maybe. That's a fact. God is for you. See, if, if, if God is willing to look at our lives and say we are justified, that, that, that's, that means if, we, if, if, if God is willing to, to look at us, if we believe in Jesus, he now sees us just as if we had never sinned. If he can do that, that means he is for you. Listen, I think a lot of people walk around and they kind of believe God is like Santa Claus, all right? I, I really do. I think people think he's like Santa Claus, like, you know, he's making a list. He's checking it twice. You're going to find out who's. Uh, exactly. I, I think, I honestly think that that's what he's doing. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. God knows you're not nice. God knows you're not nice. We suck, okay? Like we do. We kind of, we suck. He knows we mess up. Like he knows that we've, we've messed up so bad, some of us, but he's still for you. And if God for us who can be against us 
And since God is for us, who can be against us? Because God is for us, who could be against us? The reality here is that it's not saying that no one will be against you. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying no one's going to be against you. Dude, we got people against us. Come on, let's be honest. Who's honest here? The reality is we've got a lot of things. Here's a few. Uh, The enemy, (laughs) Satan, (laughs) like honestly, he's against you, right? The devil, he's against you. All his demons, they're against you. Spiritual warfare is real, people. If you believe in God, then you also believe in the devil, okay? And that man is against you. But many of you know that people are against you. There are people against you. There may be people against you because you're Christian, but the reality is there's probably people that hate you just because they hate people. Like that, is, there's just people like that in the world. You will have people against you. Some of you come from a family where your family's against you. Some of you have had friends steal your Jordans, and your friends are against you. Am I right, Jake? And, and, and so it's like, it, I mean, you, we got people against us. Maybe you've got a boss at work who is against you. There'll be many people and things and enemies against you in your life. But can I, can I reword this verse just a little bit? Can I reword it a little bit? If God is for us, who cares who's against us? If God is for us, who cares who's against us? If the God who created and separated the sea from the sky and rose the mountains and created valleys and threw the stars in the air and knows them by name and knows how many grains of sand there are at the beach and how many hairs are on your head or came down from heaven in the flesh to live and to work and to stress and to experience pain like us, if that God is for us, then who cares who's against us? Look it. Look, here's the difference this can make in your life. The knowledge of this, if you keep this in your mind and in your hearts at all times, this is what it can do for you. Knowing that God was for him, King David, in Psalm 3, he says, I will not be afraid of 10,000 people who have set themselves against me all around. Dude, I don't know, but I'd be shaken if 10,000 people were after me and wanted my head. This dude was a nut job? Or he believed that God was for him. Gideon, knowing God was for him, took 300 soldiers and he fought 135,000 Midianites. And he knew that he would have victory. This dude was either a nut job and watched too many movies or he believed God was for him. What kind of confidence can you have in your life If you knew that no matter what happens, God is for you. What if you knew that it doesn't matter what happens in this life, because maybe maybe you've been rejected on earth. What, what, What would happen if you knew that no matter how you've been rejected or what you've been experienced, that you will always be accepted in heaven? God is for you. Who cares what's against you? Now, let's let's look at this next question. I'm already running short on time here, but it says this. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? This verse right here, verse 32, it kind of deserves its own sermon. But I'm going to try to, you know, I'm just going to try to condense it a little bit. But I'm just going to ask you this. Are you tempted to doubt the love of God in your life? Have you ever been tempted to doubt the grace of God in your life? 
Have you been tempted to Google, does God hate me? (laughs) See, because those are the moments right there where you have to look back on what God has already done. Those are the times where you got to look back at what Jesus did on the cross. Because if God already gave you the greatest, costliest gift possible, then the rest is chump change. If God already gave you the greatest thing, then the rest is chump change. If God gave you the greatest gift, won't he also give you everything else? My wife, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I went... uh, when I went ring shopping for my wife and I got to see the diamond. Remember I talked about that a little bit? Well, when it actually got put in the setting and I went to go pick it up, like it was gorgeous, um, but they handed me the ring uh, in a little box um, that was like in a bag and then in like another bag. That little box and the little bag inside the other bag didn't cost me anything. It was just extra. Like, you know, things that are nice usually come with a little extras kind of thrown in there for free. You know what I mean? Like, what's a box compared to a ring? They're like, sure, we'll give you a box. You know what I mean? I could also, I also got like a little cleaning kit for her ring. And then anytime I want to go back to the store, um, they will clean the ring, like professionally polish it and inspect it and all that sort of stuff. And then they'll give it back. And one time I went to pick up Max's ring, and I didn't have like a box or a bag or anything with me. I was just going to put it in my pocket, which is a bonehead move to ever do that. And as I was leaving, the guy's like, hey, do you want a little baggie? I'm like, sure. And they gave it to me free. Like, that was free. You know, it just came with the ring. Listen, God's gift to you is like that ring. Everything else is just a case in comparison. Everything else is just a little bag in comparison. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? If he has given Jesus to you, if, if he's given the greatest gift in sending his son to you, then he's going to give you everything else you need. If you need wisdom, you need peace, you need clarity, you need strength, you need direction, you need patience. I mean, do you need healing? I, dude, I don't know why sometimes we think some things are too big for God. I think sometimes we think some things are too big for God. I don't know why. We come to God and we're like, God... I'm going to pray for something right now, God, and it's kind of big. I don't know. You might need to sit down for this. This is a big one, God. Don't know. If you, maybe you need to put aside some resources for this one. Maybe, I don't know. And we think, we think what we have is too big for God. Listen, nothing you need or want or have to bring him is too big for God to handle. Nothing is too big for God. Nothing is going to surprise him. And if God has given you the biggest and the best, don't you know that he's also going to give you everything else that you need? See, it's a question of qualification. This is a question of qualification. Because through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you've been qualified to receive every spiritual blessing. And the next question Paul asks is a question of accusation. Verse 33 says this, who dares accuse whom, us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Listen, I'm not, I know I'm not the only one who's been like accused of things. You know what I mean? Like I've definitely been accused of things. I've also done accusing. I accused my wife 
of um, moving the squeegee, uh, the shower squeegee somewhere, and I was I couldn't find it, and I was like, babe, you moved the squeegee, and she's like, no, I didn't. I was like, yeah, you did. You moved, because I did not touch the squeegee, and it definitely didn't walk away by itself, and I accused her of moving it, and it was literally hanging in the exact place it always is, all right, and so I know, um, I know I've done some accusing, but how many of you have been, like, accused, man? Dude, maybe in your life you've been accused of being a cheater. <laughs> you've been accused of being a liar. Maybe you've been uh, accused of being lazy. Uh, maybe you've been just accused of just being a bad person or not a real Christian or whatever it is. I know that we've been accused. So, so <laughs> Paul's not saying you're not going to get accused, right? He's not saying you're not going to get accused. But when Paul asks this question, he's using this language in the original Greek that refers to like a legal accusation. He's talking about a legal charge. And he's really asking you, who's going to bring legal charges against you? Who is going to press charges against us? So let me ask you, more than anyone else, more than anyone else, who's going to charge us with the things we've done and the sins we've committed against God? Who's going to charge us? Satan, dude. The devil. The enemy. His very name, Diabolos, means slanderer or one who defames. Like, that's his M.O. That's his character. That's what he does, right? In Revelation 12.10, it says he is called the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before God day and night. You have heard those voices in your head probably, right? You've, you've, you've heard those, those voices in your head. Oh, you call yourself a Christian and you did that, right? You ever get that in your head? Oh, you want to pray for that? You think you're going to get a prayer answered? Look at you. You're not good enough for God to hear your prayer. You ever have that voice in your head? Dude, that's, that's the enemy. Listen, Satan, Satan, before we sin, he tempts us. After we sin, he taunts us. Before we sin, he tempts us. After we sin, he taunts us. Before we sin, he says, come on, dude, it's fine. It's okay. Like, it's, you won't get caught. No one will know. You'll get away with it. It's fine. But then after we sin, after we sin, he taunts us, and he's like, you idiot. Look what you did. What are you, big old dummy? You're useless. You're, you're never going to get away with that. See, he's quick. He's, he's eager to point out our mistakes and our failures. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's all true. It's all true. All the dirt that he can dig up on Jake is true. Everything that he can find about me and my failures and my shortcomings are true. Everything. He can say, I'm weak, I'm a failure, I'm a sinner. And I'm just going to sit here and say, amen. Yeah, I did that. You're right, amen. Oh, I, f I forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah, that was me. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, that was me. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to say, yeah, Amen. But then I can listen to everything the enemy wants to bring up about me. I can listen to everything he wants to say, anything he can dig up, and you know what it can say? So what? So what? So what? What do you mean? Verse 33, who dares accuse us from whom God has chosen for his own? Look at this statement. No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. End of question. See, God's, God has disqualified Satan's account of me because through Jesus, he has qualified me. 
God has disqualified Satan's account of you because through Jesus, he has qualified you. You following that? And I can say, so what? To any failure that the devil wants to bring up. This is why. Because I care more about God's declaration than Satan's accusation. Because I care more about God's declaration than Satan's accusation. Can I get an amen here tonight? Here's the last question Paul asks. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Who then will condemn us? Who will condemn you? Who's going to condemn you? No, you're like, no one. Yeah, no one. Um, I know some of you, this is kind of a trick question. Some of you are like, Satan. You know, you're just talking about Satan. Satan's going to condemn us. Listen, it's kind of a trick question. Because sometimes we don't need any outside help. <laughs> sometimes we don't need any outside help, okay? Sometimes we can condemn ourselves. Like, you don't need anyone accusing you because your own heart can condemn you. Your own mind, your own soul will tell you how much of a failure you are. You will sit in shame and grief over how much you failed, how many mistakes you've made. Our own hearts will do it. And John knew this when he wrote in 1 John chapter 3, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Sometimes we don't need any reminding. We carry around all these self-condemning thoughts. But, but how freeing is it that when we realize that God isn't just like some highway patrolman like waiting for you to go one mile over the speed limit so he can give you a ticket, right? Like that's not him. That's not who God is. In fact, in high school, I, there was this LD who would drive around in a golf cart. And she, oh my gosh, I couldn't stand her. She would have a ruler and she would drive up to girls and literally measure their shorts and skirts. I'm not even a lady, and it irritated me. I'm a dude, and for some reason, I can wear as short shorts as I want, and no one cares. But she's going around with a ruler just trying to get people and send them to the office. Like, that's terrible. Listen, God isn't that. God isn't that. He's a loving father. He sent his one and only son to die for you, then be resurrected, and now he sits at the right hand of God pleading for us. Listen, what this means is that Jesus' work isn't finished. Like his work on the cross is finished, but now he has another job, okay? Jesus is doing something. Right now, Jesus is at the right hand of God, and he's rooting for you. He's rooting for you. You ever get one of those texts? I got a good text today. You ever get one of those texts where someone's like, hey, man, I'm just thinking about you. Or they're like, hey, girl, just thinking about you, you know. Hope you're doing great. I hope, hope life's treating you well. I hope, you know, whatever. And they're just like, uh, you know, just like that, that root, that root for you text. Hey, I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. Or like maybe they remember a conversation they had with you and they like, they shoot you a text like, hey, I'm praying over that situation. Man, those times I get those, I feel honored. Like I feel like, man, you were thinking of me? Like we're kind of selfish people. You know what I do all day? Think about myself. That's what I do. So if someone is not thinking about themselves for two seconds, I feel honored, okay? Because I know I don't do that very often. So when I get that text, man, it makes me feel good. Someone's, someone's rooting for me. But listen, listen. 
Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays for you. He comes to the Father on your behalf. He makes intercession for you. In Hebrews, it says he always lives to make intercession on our behalf. In fact, one time Jesus came up to his disciple Peter and he, and he told him, hey, uh, Satan's been asking about you. That would freak me out, first of all. But he comes up to Peter and he's like, Satan's asking about you and he wants to sift you like wheat. Now I would be peeing my pants. I'd be like, well, what did you say? You know, like, you're going to defend me? What's going on? And Jesus tells Peter this. He says this. He says, I have prayed for you and pleaded that your faith should not fail. That's what he tells Peter. I have prayed for you and I've pleaded that your faith would not fail. What an honor, dude. Jesus prays for you, and he pleads for you. I just want to close with this story as the band comes up. Close with this story. True story. True story. Um, well, I read it online, so it might not be true. But um, there was a professor of a college course on logic, and he was kind of like a, like a really hard professor. You have one of those professors that are just kind of like shrewd. They're just like really, like everything's kind of by the book, and they're like, just very, like, if you're two minutes late to class, they're like, nope, walk out, you're getting a tardy. You have professors like that, they're like really strict. I guess this was like one of those professors, and um, they were coming up, the students were coming up on their final exam for the year, for this logic course, okay? And he tells them, hey, you can bring notes to this exam, but you get one sheet of paper. You get one sheet of paper, you can write notes front and back, all right? And you can bring that, but nothing else, just one sheet of paper. You ever have a professor like that? I have. Uh, like, I've gotten the note cards, and you write, like, really tiny, you know, like, as tiny as you can. Like, you basically need a magnifying glass to read it. How is that helpful? And, um, and so I know, like, these students, man, they take their one sheet of paper. They go home that night. They write as small as they can and cram it all onto these sheets of paper. And so the final exam comes that day, and the students come in, and they've all got their papers except for one student. One student comes in. He's got his paper, but it's blank. It's blank. He, he didn't write anything on it. And he brings it, and he sits it, and he, he, he puts it right in front of his desk, right on the ground, right in front of his desk. It's one sheet of paper. And he sits down, and then an advanced logic student comes into the classroom, and he stands right on that piece of paper, <laughs> right on that piece of paper, on the paper, in front of his desk. And so the student, during the test, whispers the question, and that evangelogic student whispers the answers back, and the teacher let it happen. He's like, hey, this is a logic course, dude. Like, this guy's got logic. That's the, that, that kid is the only kid who got an A on that test because he, he thought smarter, not harder. I don't know if he learned anything, but he got an A, and that's what matters. And listen, listen. Think of the final exam. Think of the final exam of your life when you come to the end and you're looking God in the face and he asks you, why should I let you into heaven? Why should I let you in here? And he asks you that simple question and imagine you're chewing on it for a second and you're like, well, I mean, I, I've been mostly good. I haven't killed anybody. Like I'm pretty, I weed one time in college, maybe two times, maybe a whole semester. It's fine, but it's not that bad. I'm, I'm a good person. And God's going to say, not good enough, dude. 
Maybe, maybe you say, man, I went to church though. I went to church most sometime, Easter and Christmas. And he's going to say, no, I'm sorry, it's not good enough. Look, here's what I got to tell you. You need someone to stand in for you. You need someone to stand in for you. Not just someone who knows the answers, but someone who is the answer. Not just someone who knows the answers, but the person who is the answers, the way, the truth, and the life, and that is Jesus Christ. There's going to be a judgment day, friends, but if you place your hope, your trust, your faith in Jesus, he intercedes on your behalf, and you are counted as righteous before God. Can I get an amen to that? Like, if you've never given your life to Jesus and put your faith in him and the works that he's already done for you on the cross... What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? We go through life thinking we got to do all these works. We got to reach all these kinds of levels and achieve these things. And Jesus has already done it for us. Jesus achieved the unachievable so we can have life with him. See, our God is for us. Nothing can be against us. No power of hell. No scheme of man. Nothing you can do, nothing I can do, nothing can ever take us from the love of Jesus. If you haven't put your faith in him today, I pray that you would do so. And claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Will you pray with me? God, as we took this little midterm exam, God, and we're looking back at all the knowledge you poured out through Paul to us, God. Lord, we see how rich and how deep is your mercy and your grace that you've poured out on us, Lord. God, that you've given us all these things, and then you've given us the Holy Spirit, Lord. That through you, we have right standing, God. And Lord, that to this day, Jesus, you didn't just stop when you were resurrected. God, that you plead for us every day on our behalf. That you intercede for us, God. That you stand in between us and God, and you call us righteous. God, that we've been adopted into your family as sons and daughters of the King, Lord. God, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that hasn't claimed that identity, Lord, that they would reach out and claim it tonight. That they would claim who you've called them to be, Lord. That they would claim your presence. They would claim the blessing that you pour out, God. Lord, we know that you've given us such an amazing gift, Lord. And because of that, we have everything we need. God, if you're for us, who could be against us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.